This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game, while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of harvesting nature. Hey everyone, welcome back to Harvest and Nature's Wild Fish and Game podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend. Uh, we also have a a member of the Harvest and Nature crew as well as a special guest today. So we're excited to chat. I think today we're going to talk primarily fishing, fishing and cooking and fishing and eating, but a lot of fishing, which is good. Um, but excited to share the stories with you either way. And um, just looking at sort of any updates going on kind of with us here at Harvesting Nature. And as you're listening to this, uh, you're actually listening to a voice of, of me in the past because I'm out on the road traveling. Um, but we're, we're recording it for a release in the future. And uh, so not many updates on my part to, uh, to provide. But... Um, I am able to be fortunate enough to work with Corey on some uh, some recipes here. Uh, as of late, uh, we we've been working on a squirrel chili recipe, right, Corey? Right. Yep. And I'm, I think. I'm, oh, go ahead. I'm excited for the next one that that we're going to be working on. Yeah, I do want to talk a little bit about that because we're having some debate as to where that's going to lie. So. Um, Corey messaged me and gave me a rundown of what's in his freezer and we're trying to work our way through it. And, uh, one of the things that stood out to me is he's got some bear steaks, which I think is interesting because you don't often meet people that have bear in their freezer. So, um, 
But nonetheless, uh, he also said, hey, I went to this Dominican restaurant the other day and well, I it had was, some... it was It was actually back when I was in college. We used to go, we went there a bunch of different times and they had this steak and you could only get it well done. And it was, okay. it was the most flavorful and tender and juicy well done steak I've ever had. So knowing that you need to cook bear well done, I wanted to replicate that with, with the bear steak. So we've been doing a little research and uh, I've consulted some, some friends that I have uh, from the Dominican Republic as well as, so I don't know if you knew this, my, my sister-in-law was there as well. She worked with the Peace Corps in Dominican Republic. So I have to reach out to her as well to, uh, to verify some of our our thoughts on the recipe here. See if we can single it out. Cause always have, all we have is Corey's description and the fond memory from college to, to work <laughs> off of. <laughs> right. But nonetheless, a little hazy. Yeah. I think we can do it. Uh, so keep an eye out for that in, uh, in the next couple months for sure. Uh, as well as, uh, we've talked definitely about it almost every episode in the last month or so, but make sure you're checking out our adventure for food podcast, which also, uh, is played on this channel and it just features, it goes straight down to exactly what it mentions just to the adventure for acquiring food in the wild, which is cool. So here we talk about cooking it there. We talk about catching it, hunting it, obtaining it, whatever way you want to go about it. But, Nonetheless, really awesome way to uh, to have a very concise, quick, entertaining moment listening to those podcasts. But now for our guest today, uh, she is a U.S. Coast Guard licensed captain, fishing guide, president of Wisconsin Women Fish, and producer of Women Ice Angler Project, author and outdoor educator, introduce you to barb carey hey thanks for having me yeah it's it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today and so welcome to the harvesting nature wild fishing game podcast thank you (laughs) um so with that if you could uh tell us a little bit about yourself uh where you're from uh we alluded a little bit into it in your introduction but more specifically uh where you're from and what you do and We'd love to hear about you. Well, I grew up in the UP of Michigan, which is kind of a wilderness area anyway. So there's a lot of hunting and fishing and trapping opportunities there. And uh, as I grew up, I first I went to nursing school and worked as a nurse for five or six years. And then I went to be a police officer. And I was a police officer for many years until I got injured on duty. And then I had to retire. So this whole time, my whole life, I've been fishing. So one of the things I found about fishing is I was trying to learn as much as I could. But when I would see these old timers, you know, these old guys out on the ice or out fishing, nobody would tell you anything. I mean, everything was a big secret. And that kind of like, I had a really hard time learning and getting better. So I finally met a couple other women that fished and I said, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to have a women's event. And we can all get together and fish. And women tell, they have no secrets when it comes to fishing. You know, they share information. 
And it just kind of morphed into this club, which now has over 400 members from 16 states in Canada. And we've been around for this, we're starting our 15th year now. So we've seen how the sport has changed over with the advent of social media and how things have changed in the last 50, 15 years. It's been unbelievable. So you think that with the the addition of social media, is it is it fueled growth or allowed you to reach boundaries? Well, I, I think it definitely has fueled growth because, um, you know, before social media, it was hard to connect with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you saw someone out there fishing, you had no way to know that these other people fished and, you know, you could be part of that. So it really allowed the communication to spread just so widely and rapidly. And people started, you know, improving their skills and just kind of connecting with people. And men have a much larger peer group when it comes to fishing and hunting buddies you know, a lot of women don't have that peer group. So, and they don't get invited on the guys trips. So this kind of provided a peer group for them to learn from and to go on trips with. And it kind of started to even the playing field a little bit. I think that's a, that's a very valuable and cool thing to uh, have created a space that may have, or definitely didn't otherwise exist. And I think facilitated a lot of really cool interactions and a way for women to enjoy the sport. And so with that, um, I guess, how have you seen the organization grown grow over time outside the use of social media? Sort of how do you connect with, with women on the day to day to, to create spaces to, to go out and fish? Well, you know, this weekend, this coming weekend, we're going to have our 14th annual fish camp. In that very first fish camp, there was 23 people at, and nobody had a boat. We were on the, at this campground. It was camping and fishing. Not one person had a boat. And fast forward 14 years later, of course, say 13 years later, because last year, the whole resort is full. We've topped it out at 75 people. That's most people we could get there. And uh, everyone had these big boats or driving these big deep V boats and bass boats. And everyone's got a kayak or a boat or some kind of fishing vessel. Most people do, which I think is a, in the last, you know, in that 13 year period, the growth and the knowledge that they've learned over that time has been incredible. And myself included. Now, do you see a lot of um, repeat participants in that, or do you? What's the? I guess what's the ratio between people that repeatedly come to events and those that are that are newly introduced? Well, one of the one of the formats that we use is we have a members only secret Facebook page. So these women that are involved in our organization have this safe place to go and they can learn and they can ask questions. And oftentimes on social media, on some of these fishing forums, women don't really feel that safe. You know, they'll ask a question and they'll be humiliated or, you know, stupid things are said or they make comments about a picture. And that just, you know, they don't want any part of that and they run away 100 miles an hour. But in our space, you know, they can ask whatever question 
they want. They get support. They get encouragement. There's great networking. And it's a place where they want to stay. So we've had members that have joined on and, you know, we don't lose a lot of members. Maybe if people move away or, you know, they have different um, circumstances going in our life, but they really kind of stick around. Some people have been here the whole time and some people have come in, you know, at at whatever point, but they're still here. And besides teaching them um, fishing skills, you know, there's a base for emotional support there. We really care about each other. So, and we really welcome in new people to the group. For example, you know, a lot of women have hesitancy to go to something, a group event, you know, we oftentimes think of those times in high school where you were trying to be one of the cool kids in the clique and you weren't and you didn't fit in. And this has zero of that. I mean, that we have a zero tolerance policy for that. So if somebody new comes in, they are welcomed with open arms. And that just kind of opens the door. And once they feel comfortable, then they ask questions, they're participating more, they're going on different events, and all of a sudden their skills are improving really rapidly. Justin and I both have young daughters. And, and you mentioned that um, in like public forums w- where there's men that – that um, the women asking questions can be put off or, or ridiculed or whatever. But, and, and you know, with, with us having young daughters, we're, we're obviously trying to raise them in, in the outdoors. We want them to, to appreciate the outdoor space. And for people like Justin and I, and uh, that have daughters that are, you know, a significant other uh, girlfriend, wife that wants to get into fishing, what, what words of wisdom do you have for us that that uh, could help foster that growth? Because I, when my wife and I were dating, I'd try to take her fishing, and I guess my approach wasn't the best because it, we haven't fished together in, I don't know, 10 years or more. So I, I'm trying to avoid that with my daughter. Well, the feedback I get from members that come in, um, one um, woman came in and she was married and she goes, I love fishing with you gals because I can fish how I want. No one's telling me how to do it. You know, I can pick the species I want to fish for and I don't have to follow my husband around with him telling me what we're going to fish for. So I think that, you know, men in general want to kind of take care of and be really helpful and kind of be the leader. And and that's great, you know, but sometimes, you know, women want their own, they want to make their own decisions on what bait to use and where to go and what to fish. And that's how they learn. So if you're fishing with a buddy, you know, you're not going to be, you know, over instructing him. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of guys make with women. Even for me, I mean, I'm a charter captain on Lake Michigan and take people out salmon fishing and I drive up to a boat launch and guys ask me if I need help. I mean, which is, you know, very courteous of them, but they're assuming that I don't know stuff. So not making assumptions is probably something that is important, you know, and especially with kids, you know, you have to kind of, you know, first off, try to get them to have success right away. And that's what ignites that passion. You know, all of a sudden you get this big fish on and that's such an adrenaline rush. That's kind of what we all wait for. I mean, that's the, you know, they can say it's about nature and calm and all this stuff, but the reality is we want to be fighting that big fish. 
That's right. what's exciting. So with, with, I think what you just described as a way of having, you know, as a, as a man pushing to have them do it your way. I think that's what turned my wife off is in my effort to get her to catch fish and to be successful. I wanted her to do it my way, which I always think is the best way. And I think that really turned her off. So I, 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 I see where you're coming from and I, I understand what, what you're saying. Um, do you, do you have, do you think there are pros and cons for like husbands or boyfriends or fathers showing, uh, exposing their wives or, or whoever to, to fishing or do you see, is there pros or cons to that? Well, I think it's all good. I mean, every opportunity anybody can get out with somebody else. I mean, that's good. I mean, it's not ever a bad thing. It's just, you know, you have to be a little bit more mindful. And the analogy I use once in a while is it's like driver's ed. You know, if you take your kid out to driver's train, it's going to be on, you know, it's just a mess. Your kid doesn't want to listen to you. And I mean, there's just like, you're kind of going downhill from the beginning. But if somebody else takes them out, it's a totally different experience. And I think that's why women do so well in a lot of these women's groups is because it's a different experience for them. You know, they're kind of relating to people differently and they're receiving the information um, differently. So I, you know, whenever women can go to a women's program, I think that that really helps them. And there's programs like that popping up all over the place. You know, all of a sudden she's getting a little more confidence with her skills and then she can go out, you know, with the guys and stuff and like kind of learn more, but still have her own piece of stake in that trip. Mm -hmm. I I was thinking about both your response and, and Corey's question and I I'm trying to take approach an approach with, with my daughter. So she's eight now. And, and as I begin to introduce her more, cause we're in Key West, it's more fishing than hunting. And we've done a few hunting trips, but, um, I definitely have taken some lessons from Corey's stories and, uh, I'm trying to not, not go down that road and just also kind of walk into it with a thought that I'm, not always am I personally there to fish, but more to facilitate her enjoyment of the trip and sort of her learning and, and gaining experience. And I'm, I'm very cognizant and thoughtful of the fact of like, or trying to be of like, I don't know what would dissuade her and I don't want to dissuade her from continuing to enjoy fishing. So, you know, outside of like, all right, we're out there to catch fish and do this. It's like, all right. So, you know, Here's how we're tying hooks. Here's how we're, you know, going through everything. But in a way that, whereas I would just do it myself, I'm kind of pausing and trying to, to explain more and, and teach more and answer questions. I don't know, to make it more comfortable in my mind, I guess. I don't know. I, yeah, is this, you know, is it, is, is the right way? Yeah. You know, that's all great. You know, education is a big piece of it. What I tend to do is when I'm in the boat with a new angler, um, and it doesn't matter really the age, if I get hooked up with a fish, I hand them the rod. 
you know, sir, so they're reeling in all these fish and they're experiencing what we all drive to get when we're out there. And then when I'm holding my rod and I'm getting a bite, I hand them the rod and say, look at this, I'm getting a bite now. Can you feel that? And then they're just feeling the bite, you know, mm-hmm. and then before long, they're hooking the fish. So as you progress through this, one of the things I think that's helpful, you know, say you've gone out a few times and you've fished with for different species, you know, you're going to different places, give them some choice. Like, what would you like to fish for today? Where would you like to go? What do you want to target? And that way, you know, they're feeling, oh, well, my opinion matters. You know, I, I would really like to do this. And it may be something totally different than you had in mind, but that's what they want to do based on their experience that they had already. And that kind of gives them a little more, you know, pride in going and a little bit more, um, you know, like they're a, kind of a equal participant in the adventure and not always being, you know, told what to do or how to do things all the time that gets really old you know after you you can only take so much of that and that's just Mm -hmm. leave me alone and let me fish you know so there's a balance there to find and every person you're fishing with is different and being able to kind of read their body language and figure it out how it's going and make those adjustments as you go that that's really the key to being a good teacher i think i think it's Thank you for the insight. It's it's I think it'll help me develop a good a good plan. Yeah, a lot of a lot of good uh, tips. As much there. of a plan as you can have with a Yeah, as much of a plan as you can have with an eight year old. Right. Right. You know, it's gotta um, be fun. It's gotta be fun or they're not gonna like it. It's they don't wanna go to absolutely. school. They wanna go fishing and have fun. Yep. Um so as it relates to that, I, I've been trying to like we're we're a huge, obviously, wild game house, uh, but I think even more so, like uh, fish and seafood, um, is pretty prevalent here in the in the towns and households. So, um, do you ever use in a in a lot of the meetings and stuff that that you guys have in outings? Do you guys uh, use sort of that? I guess I don't want to say venison diplomacy because we've been using that term a lot as of late. But uh, in a way, using food is, a, is an introduction into the into the sport of fishing. Well, you know, we it, a lot of times we'll have a group fish fry with what we catch. And some of the differences is that some of the women hadn't been able to catch enough fish. They didn't know how to clean them. So they never got the fruits of the labor at the end. So you provide that and now all of a sudden maybe they learn quite a bit, you know, when we're cleaning fish, they're looking and they're learning. So that kind of propels them to the next level. So, you know, maybe they're going to catch a fish next time and cook it and then, I mean, clean it and then cook it. And then that's really a source sense of accomplishment for them. But, you know, it's kind of one step at a time, not getting ahead of yourself. You know, we've had other events where we've had wild game cook-offs and these women are bringing in goose meat and venison and all, you know, bear and all sorts of stuff, elk, you know, and all sorts of fish. And the food is just absolutely fantastic. And, you know, I know, you know, I wasn't a deer hunter at all until I started eating venison. Then once I realized what great food and how healthy it was and how good it tasted, I was like, man, I'm all in. I'm going to get my own beer. <laughs> <laughs> so with that said, uh, do you do you get out and hunt? 
I do. Um, not, you know, I'm so dang busy all the time. I don't get the, like it's bow season right now where I mm -hmm. live and I'm look out my backyard at my deer blind because I can hunt on my property because I have like nine acres here. And, uh, but I just don't have the time to get out. I'm so busy. I would like to, and I hope to later in the season, but, um, that's frustrating. Cause I see him walking out there, you know, it's, <laughs> I know like, the neighborhood. I'll get you next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I definitely understand that. And I, I think that's, it's a pretty common, um, a common conversation we have with a lot of people on the podcast and, you know, cause of like, Oh, how often do you hunt? You know, what do you do that? And they're like, as much as I can, like in, in the moment that I can, that I'm not busy doing something else. Like, yeah, I go out and hunt and it's, it's, it's completely understandable. And that's awesome though. Well, you know, uh, I make a point to plan fishing trips, you know, mm -hmm. I have destinations in mind, I'll plan trips, but I don't plan hunting trips. And part of it is just because it's in my backyard. You know, I just think I can go whenever I want, but there, that's really not the reality, <laughs> unfortunately. So talking about some some destinations to go, where uh, where have your favorite destinations go fishing been, and what's, what's at the top of your list to go next? Well, you know, I wrote an article for a magazine a while back, and it said the top 12 fishing experiences to have, you know, mm -hmm. and you know, so much more besides, uh, you know, species driven, it's more of a destination or an experience driven, like up where I am, we can go sturgeon spearing, or we can go on a raft that's secured in a river and fish the walleye run in the river from this raft that has like sleeping compartments on it. So you're fishing 24 hours a day. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. It's so fun. You should see the pictures. It's just wild, you know? And, um, you know, I've been up to Winnipeg, Canada, walleye fishing, and I've been in Alaska, but Wisconsin has so many great opportunities. Fishing the Great Lakes is just amazing. You know, we I fished Lake Superior one time and caught 12 species in one day. And it's probably not a big thing if you're a saltwater angler because there's so many species in there. But on, you know, inland lakes, you know, it's kind of rare to catch 12 species in one outing. Even in saltwater, it's, it's very rare to do that as well. <laughs> so that's awesome. So you have that, that article, the 12-step program to complete your Wisconsin fishing bucket list. Have you done, right. all, have you done all 12 of those? Yes, I have. And that's why I know them firsthand. And they're, they're kind of different experiences, all of them. So what's the, I guess you could give us like a broad overview. Obviously we want people to go read the article, but just sort of, uh, what experience stands out most to you as your favorite and what kind of maybe would be your, not, not less favorite, but less enjoyable. I don't know if that's a good term, but. Well, for, for me, you know, I love salmon fishing and that's not necessarily available to other places. I mean, in very few places you can do it. I mean, you have to go to the West coast or Alaska, but the great lakes is a great salmon fishery. And that's kind of what, you know, the power of those fish is amazing. So that's kind of what my latest drive has been. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's a good one. And then some of these other ones, you know, that are just, uh, um, lake trout fishing or some of these bigger species, you know, and I, I go up to Lake of the Woods a lot, Minnesota. That's one of my favorite destinations, especially for ice fishing. 
And uh, wa- walleye and salmon are my top species that I fish for. Mainly nice. panfish, a lot of panfish sometimes, but that's lower on the list. That's fair. Um, as far as eating quality, what's what's your favorite? Well, I really I like salmon, but I like pike. A lot of people shy away from pike because it's they have the pin bones in them and yeah. the Y bones. It's harder to clean, and they think it's too bony. But if you know how to clean them, that meat is thick and pure white and really dense and firm, and it's absolutely delicious. I uh, I I will tell you that. So I have not fished in the the northern part of the United States very much, but uh, back uh, several years ago, I took a trip up to the Dakotas and we fished Lake Sakakawea in North Dakota. Yep, and just absolutely had a ball. But walked away not specifically that lake, but another nearby spot that we went to and just had a a great haul of pike. And as we were there fishing, we ran into a gentleman there who, who had been fishing this lake all his life. And, you know, we're like, we don't, we heard pikes good, but we don't necessarily know how to fillet it. And so he walked us through exactly how to get out the pin bones and the Y bone and everything. And, oh my gosh, I, I fell in love with the meat of that fish that day. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. Cause like, I think if we go back in time to like the very beginning of, of harvesting nature, like one of the first few recipes, uh, I created was a pike creole recipe. So I took like a, a New Orleans inspired Louisiana recipe and used uh, pike uh, in it. And so, oh man, it was phenomenal. It's like a heavy tomato base, but the firmness of that fish just like it, it did so well, kind of like stewing it almost. So yeah, yeah, it's good for that. What's uh, so what's what, one of your, f- I was going to ask the same question. <laughs> Go ahead, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite way to prepare the pike? Well, you know, there's a number of ways. You know, we do a lot just with butter and lemon pepper and just broiling it. You know, that's really good. It just flakes mm-hmm. apart and still get the flavor of the fish. You don't have all that breading stuff on it. But, you know, and I grill a lot of fish, too. I grill a lot of salmon and just a lot of regular fish. So, you know, I use like ginger teriyaki sometimes when you're eating a lot of fish, I like to mix it up a little bit. So you're not having that same fried fish over and over, you know, and just, you know, fish tacos. I love fish tacos and pike oh, is really good at fish tacos. I love fish tacos too. I'm a huge taco yeah. fan. <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome. Um, so let's, can we talk a little bit about ice fishing? So this is ice fishing to me. Corey laughs at me every time I say the word ice fishing, just because it's such a completely foreign concept to me. Um, Cause I've lived the furthest I lived North is like my home state in Oklahoma. And then for the rest of my life, I've lived in the Southern part of the United States, being on the, the West coast or the East coast. And it's just like the concept of ice fishing just, it amazes me and terrifies me all at the same time. So, um, it's, it's fantastic. You got to try it. So what, what draws you to it the most? Um, well, you know, one thing about being on the ice, you know, it's, it's like, uh, it's like being on the moon, 
you know, there's not a lot of people around, you know, you're walking and you're hearing that crunching of the snow as it's making ice. It makes these sounds like whales. Hmm. And it's just, a, it's just a beautiful, pure atmosphere. You know, there's snow that sparkles and all sorts of blues and pinks and, um, you know, it's just, you know, you can feel the chill on your face, but you're perfectly warm because you have the right clothing on because you know how to dress and the technology and the clothing is amazing now. I mean, mm-hmm. you fall through, you float, you know, there's, you don't get sweaty. You don't, it's just perfect clothing. They fi- finally got the clothing part figured out. And uh, it's, it's just really a different experience. It's the, some of it's solitude. Some people make it a big social thing you know, get a bunch of people together to go. Last year for the Women Ice Angler Project, we actually camped on the ice in shacks for three days. Oh, wow. Holy smokes. So yeah. if you could explain to me, um, as naive I am to understand, a, uh, and, and also the listeners who may not know exactly what a an ice fishing shack is, but like what's what's the general concept behind it? Well, there's lots of different options. Some people use the hard shacks, you know, that are like little mini houses or hard shacks made out of wood or fiberglass or all insulin. Some of them are like a house with televisions and microwaves are big, big. But most people use just a portable shack that they bring out and then take with them. Some of them pop up and they're insulated. It's kind of like a tent, but now some of them have floors in them. And that's what we camped in. Um, Clam... Clam Outdoors is just kind of has all kinds of shacks available. And they were one of the sponsors. And, and so you set up the shack. It's like a big pop-up tent, only it's bigger. It's got a floor in it. But the walls are really insulated. And then you have these portable heaters. And we set up cots and sleeping bags. Um, disco beds is what they were called. They're actually um, bunk bed cots. And huh. uh yeah, you can actually drill holes and fish right in there while you're in your pajamas in your cot. Just lean over to the side and yeah. just like put the rod in the water. <laughs> yeah, it was a totally different experience, you know. It was it was super fun. That's awesome. So I I picture so one thing being like a, a chef and a just thinking about cooking on the ice and I think about a lot of heat and I'm like heat and ice don't work. How do, what do, what do you eat when you're out there? You can, you know, some of that, we can drive cars out on that ice. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, sometimes up on Winnipeg, there's five feet of ice on the lake. That's absolutely blows my mind. Yeah. Like, you okay. Know, you, know, you, want, you, want, you know, the average, you know, two, three feet, you know, there's plenty of ice. We have bonfires on the ice. There's a little portable fire pit that's up off the ground a little bit. And yeah, it's cool. And never does it just all of a sudden the bonfire just sinks into the water. No, there's it doesn't even melt. You know, these fire pits we used are kind of made for that. Uh-huh. Everything burns down. There's just a little ash left in there. In the stars at night, there's there's no, you know, lighting from cities. And the stars are just unbelievable. Yes. It's, it's so beautiful. It's almost like you're you know, like in Antarctica or something, but it's not that cold and it's close to home. <laughs> it's cool. You got to try it. I, all right. I'm going to put it on my, my bucket list. Corey's got a running list uh, for me of, <laughs> I think it's grouse hunting now, ice fishing. Right. Yeah. 
we've, we've got some interesting things lined up, I think. But no, I, uh, I'll give it a try. I'm not a fan of the cold, but I will, I'll suck it up for the experience, I think, because it sounds pretty remarkable. Just get the, get the right clothes. You won't be cold. I'll need one of those. You remember the movie Christmas Story? Like where the kid comes out oh, and he's yeah, in a yeah. suit? That'd be me. No, the, new clothes, <laughs> the new clothes are so lightweight. It's like wearing pajamas. You're really comfortable. That's perfect. That, yeah. that Yeah, that's right up my alley then. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so you mentioned... Um, you mentioned the uh, women ice angler project. Can you can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like, um, well, throughout throughout my career, I've just been kind of the one that's like telling, like the trying to change things. You know, like when I first started years ago, I mean, they were still using bikini models for boat ads, and um, you know, they were kind of. It, it was different. It wasn't, women were not really, you know, if, if they made something for women, it was pink and it was really crappy and they didn't have any clothes for ice fishing or hunting or anything. So I've always been the one that's been poking them with a stick to try to get stuff that women need. Cause I knew how, how much money women were spending on this. So about um, seven years ago, I realized that none of the ice fishing catalogs had any women in them. And there was just no representation for women. And there's like hundreds of women that ice fish, or I'm sure there's thousands. But so I started this project where I got a photographer and a writer and some other media people. And we went out to get some images to give to people to tell them that you have no excuse now. Here are some really good images. And now um, as the project grew, we kind of had a different theme every year. And... Um, like one year we took uh, Ashley Lundvall, who was Miss Wheelchair, Miss USA Wheelchair. You know, she won the big prize, but she's in it. She used an action track wheelchair, one of those ones with the tracks on them. Because mm -hmm. we wanted to show that, you know, our, our one of our big mottos is if she can do it, I can do it. So we've been recruiting women to get involved in that sport for a really long time in fishing in general. So now, you know, it's like, who else can we reach and invite to come into this sport that may be underrepresented or don't really know that that's available to them? So we had our join uh, our team that year, and she was out there ice fishing in this action track wheelchair, spent the whole time with us, and she had a blast. So then there were articles in a lot of the publications that uh, have a readership that may be in a wheelchair and kind of reached a whole new audience. And those people became inspired, you know, like, oh, yeah, I could do something like that. And then we had resources where all these um, action track wheelchairs were available to loan out. You know, you could just go borrow one if you needed one. So that's kind of the concept of it. You know, we kind of try to find ways to bring people into the sport that may have not had that idea that that was for them. I got it. I, I think it's really awesome. And around ice fishing too, which makes it even more awesome. Well, you know, you should, you know, sometimes the ice, you know, there's like pressure cracks and spots. I shouldn't even tell you this. You'll never want to go. 
But and, and this trip, um, the ice had opened up and there was a big crack. And here we have snowmobiles, ATVs. We're pulling a small trailer with the action track wheelchair and Ashley's on the back of a snowmobile. It's at getting dark and we get back to this huge crack that we can't cross. And it's like, oh my God, how are we going to get this crew off the ice? Oh man, what do you do? <laughs> well, <laughs> we, we, we thought about it for a while. And uh, one of the gals had a, had a, her ATV trailer had a piece of plywood on the floor and it was only attached by zip ties. So two gals got on the snowmobile okay. and jumped the crack, you know, just went fast enough. Snowmobiles can kind of fly right over them. ATVs and stuff have a little heart. You can't really do that with an ATV, but snowmobiles can. So they went and got that piece of plywood and we made a, a bridge to get over the crack and just kind of went over, you know, one at a time. And it was, it was kind of nerve wracking, but we made it. And I tell you the, the feeling we had when we accomplished that adventure and got everyone off and we did it ourselves and we found the answer to the problem and we were able to execute the plan was unbelievable. We were all about 10 feet high off the ground. Yeah. It, it was fantastic, you know. Oh man. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> I I I definitely wow. <laughs> I don't know though if I'm ready to go ice fishing anymore. <laughs> well, you you have to go with an outfitter. They'll take good care of you. Yeah, uh, we'll see. <laughs> it's still at the top of the list though. In yeah. all seriousness. Um was it um, anything worth doing? Is definitely has some challenges. I'm I'm not a fan of like life just presenting you easy things. Like you have to work for the really good things sometimes. So things like that are awesome. Well, you want that feeling that gives you that surge. You yeah, know, that's what fishing is. It's just an adventure to get that rush of that big fish on, or any fish on. You know, if you have a, you're a passionate angler, it doesn't really matter how big it is. You know, you just it's almost like a drug. You know, that's what you want. That's what you wait for. That's why I teach people that you know once you get a fish on, that has been what you've been waiting for. Don't rush mm -hmm. through that. Just take your time. That's what you want to enjoy. Because so many people are like frantic to get it in. You know, they're just cranking it in and panicking and just trying to rush everything. I tell them, consider it a dance. And your favorite song starts. You want to go with the music. You don't want to just rush through it and end it really quickly. You want to enjoy the whole song. That's a perfect. That's like the perfect explanation. Um, I I grew up. Uh, we fish a lot for like largemouth bass. You know, you do like uh, cattle ponds or we'd get out on the lake and stuff like that. But it's that, you know, the constant cast, the reel, you know, if you're doing top water, buzz bait, spin bait, like whatever you're looking for, it's just like, but that hit. And as soon as that hit happens, it's like, all right, it's the methodical dance of like, all right, I'm, I'm working with the fish. We're moving back and forth. Like I take a little bit. They take a little bit, I give a little bit, they give a little bit until hopefully eventually I win. And, <laughs> but no, you're right. And, and it is to me even thinking about as an angler, like the exact moment that I'm like, I'm in it is like that hit of like right. the bite. Yeah. Right. Before that, I'm just like, I'm here. 
I'll cast it. I'll do whatever, you know, let's go look at that tree. Let's go to that sunken log. You know, it's whatever, but it's that exact moment that the bite, that's like, that's the magic. Right. Of so. You know, fishing is one of the only times I'm totally in the moment. Mm-hmm. When I'm fishing, I'm just fishing. You know, any other time, you know, I'm doing something, I'm thinking about something else I have to do, or I'm thinking about something else and just trying to get through stuff. But when I'm fishing, I'm just fishing. So let me ask you this. Is is that is that you personally fishing or, or guiding as well? Because I'm, I'm very curious. I'm not a guide, nor have I ever been. So I'm I'm always curious to learn uh, the ins and outs of people who do it professionally. Well, it, it is the same, but it's more intense because there's more at stake. There's a lot of pressure till those fish start coming in the, in the boat, you know, and, uh, I run a small boat in big water. I'm basically, um, you know, like I said before, you know, I was like a game changer and pushing the buttons. And the only reason I'm salmon fishing is because when I, when I started 15 years ago, I was mostly doing ice fishing because no other women were ice fishing. Well, then a bunch of women started ice fishing. And then I got into like big water trolling and stuff like that and taught all those classes. Well, really the last frontier I see up here is women out on the Great Lakes in their own boat. I am the only women I ever see out there captaining my own boat. So Hmm. I, I take women out there to teach them how they can take their boat and go out there. It's not that hard. So in the meantime, they're catching fish and they're running nine lines and they're, you know, having a lot of fun and they're learning a lot, but that's kind of why I'm doing it just to expose women to that adventure. And that's kind of, you know, you talk about the rush and the adrenaline feeling salmon is on the top of the list, you know, saltwater, you're dealing with waves and wind and weather and deep water and, so many variables and it's figuring that out isn't quite an accomplishment. It's a, it's a big swath of water and you're like, all right, where are they at? How can I, (laughs) how can I find them and how can I catch them? Right. And you know, when you're guiding the pressure's on because people are paying you money to bring a fish in the boat. You know, if I, if I'm fishing by myself, I mean, Sure, I'll be disappointed if I don't catch any, but the pressure's on when you're guiding until a couple fish come in the boat. Then you almost take a deep exhale and say, okay, well, we're, we're on a good start here. Yeah, I can see that. I've had yeah, similar similar occurrences with, with different guys and, and outfitters I've worked with over the years. And yeah, it's a, I, I think it's very different. But... Um, Here at Harvest in Nature, we are known to cook a variety of wild fish and game in a variety of ways. Probably one of my favorite methods is to cook in a smoker. Traeger Grills has some of the best products out there. Their pellet grills aren't just grills. They're smokers and ovens too. Anything you can do in the oven in your house, you can do on the Traeger. You can make desserts. You can grill steaks. You can use cast iron pans and braise tough cuts. You can allow roasts and briskets to smoke all day until they're tender and delicious. You can even use it to make jerky. Their variety of pellets are also very impressive. The different flavors of wood allow you to pair with your meat or fish or vegetables and give it the most flavor that you can create. They even have varieties created specifically for your next wild fish or game meal.
talking a little bit about clientele, like what's your, your average clientele and, and, uh, what times of the year are you, are you fishing most? Well, you know, my, the people in the club have a, a wide demographic of age and, but the biggest age group I would say is between 45 and 60. And, what we see is, you know, all of a sudden these mom's kids are out of the house mm-hmm. Well, they're done raising kids and running them to, for volleyball and basketball and all this stuff. And they finally have some time to do what they want to do and to have just more free time to figure out what it is they want to do. So um, that's kind of our big demographic there. Our oldest person in the club is 84. Oh, and- wow. Yeah, so we have lots in their 70s, mid and late 70s, lots in their 60s, lots in their 50s. You know, we have some 20-plus-year-olds and 30s and 40s, but for the the largest chunk is that kids-out-of-the-household-age woman. Okay, that's fair. And that that stems across from the club into, into your, your guiding as well. Yeah, pretty much. You know, a lot of the, most of my clients come from the club. Okay. They, uh, if you're going to go out on a charter boat, you have to go with six people, you know, they take six people at a time. So it costs more, you know, and if, if you're, they kind of do a drawing system. So the first fish goes to the first person and the second. So you're dividing your catch between six people. That's good. It's what well, we it's what we do here when we go out spear fishing. It's good because I'm not always the best spear fisherman on the boat, but I, I generally I clean a lot of fish and get the hook up. So that's good. <laughs> two people, you know, then you have to split all the fish just between two people. Yep. So they end up getting a lot more fish. I mean, one the gal gals go home with five fish each which is the limit, which is great for them. Of course, I don't get any fish because they get it all. So that's one of the bummers about guiding. Outside of guiding, do you have much time to to get out on the water yourself? Well, I uh, surprisingly, when you work in the fishing industry, you, <laughs> a lot of times you don't have as much time to fish as you'd like to. You know, Like right now, I could be fishing, but I'm producing a virtual fishing event for women to teach them. And I've been working on this like 14 hours a day for quite a while. And it's actually our biggest event ever. So I don't get to fish as much as I'd like. You know, I take six weeks in the summer to go out on Lake Michigan. And then other than that, I'm producing events. And usually that involves a lot of work that doesn't include fishing. You know, I try to get out as much as I can. Um, I'm hoping to kind of cut back a little bit so I can fish, be fishing more, get some other people to kind of take over for me because I think it's my turn to do a little bit more fishing now. So we'll see how that plan goes. Okay. I'm, I'm curious now about the, the virtual fishing event. Uh, could you give us some context on that? Because I'm sure there's some listeners that are might be interested in attending. If, if it's well, open. Well, it's open till this Thursday. I'm not sure when this is going to air, but uh, fish camp is our biggest event of the year. And it's, you know, women come in for like a three or four day weekend and we have classes and clinics and a tournament and all sorts of fun. It's just a blast, you know, 
and uh, big raffles and stuff. So this year due to COVID, you know, the, the space that we had been going to is kind of not conducive to social distancing. And I just didn't feel comfortable having that event this year. So we decided to make it virtual. So we have like, like eight, eight or nine different instructors that are coming in and um, we're actually doing it through the Facebook platform. We made kind of a secret page and only people that are registered can get in there. And then we have some additional software programs that integrate with uh, Facebook. So we can do PowerPoints and split screen stuff with instructors and, you know, have the whole group in. So we have a whole variety of classes and we even have a happy hour. And then we have the club awards and, you know, a lot of stuff that's specific to the club. So it's, uh, you know, we didn't know how it was going to go. And, you know, right now my house is set up like a total studio. I mean, <laughs> we have lighting and marks on the floor and all this stuff, you know, it's like, it's kind of chaotic and stressful. It's much easier to put on an event in person than making sure you have all the proper, um, you know, presentations from the presenters and that they're integrating the same time that they're speaking and you get everyone in the audience in there in the place that they need to be. So yeah, I've been tearing my hair out over here trying to pull this one off. Wow. I, I'm, I'm really excited to, to hear about it. And I say that I, I imagine it to be a really awesome event. If, if you guys are definitely pushing to live up to, you know, the, the previous events is, is highly as you've spoke of it, but also too, it's, it's cool because I think, you know, your organization is, is amongst several outdoor, either hunting or angling organizations that they're sort of like found really creative solutions within this COVID environment that we're living in. And I, I, I just, I love to see it because it's, it's, there can be so much negativity that comes out of it and that organizations that don't necessarily that prosper or, or sink in this time. And, and to hear that something great's coming out of a time that's so challenging, it's a, uh, it's really awesome to hear. Well, you know, we have people that are able to attend now that otherwise wouldn't be able to. So we have women from Canada joining mm -hmm. in people that are just so far away. They would have never been able to make it. And just some of those people that are just a little too intimidated to show up in person, but they can watch in the comfort of their own home and still get educated. I'm sure a lot of their husbands are going to be watching behind them, you know. And so all the instructors are listed on our on a on our event section on our website, which is wiwomenfish.com. There's a really good lineup of uh, instructors there, and kind of a wide variety of classes. We have a beginning boot camp, just like telling these gals like learn these five techniques and basic information and you'll be all set. So a lot of times, you know, they don't even know where to start. So we're going to give them the fundamentals of it. Um, then we have trolling with planer boards. That's a big one that people wanted to experience. And then there's stuff on bass fishing and walleye fishing, kind of some species specific stuff. Um, how to navigate through social media. And one of the classes that we're offering now is so you want to be a pro. You know, so many women are trying to get in their foot in the door with becoming a pro angler that, you know, they just, you know, are kind of 
don't really know where to go. So we're going to have a class in that just to give them some tips and some suggestions of what to do and what not to do. Wow, man, that's very, that's a, uh, that's very thorough. That's awesome. Yeah. So we have trying to have something for everyone, you know, and then we have awards at the end of the year for the club and that, that ceremony is going to be through that platform as well. What are, what are the various awards that, well, we, we have a ma- we have a master angler program. So we have all sorts of species on a list. And if you attain that, like, for example, um, smallmouth or larger smallmouth bass have to be 20 inches. So if you get one mm-hmm. over 20 inches, you get a master angler pin for that species for the year. And whoever collects the most pins for that year is crowned angler of the year. And um, so they get a big you know, perpetual trophy that we pass around a big plaque and a St. Croix sponsors it. So they get a St. Croix rod of their choice. And then we have like most improved boater or rookie of the year, um, you know, meritorious service awards for people that are really pitching in and helping out and, um, you know, most improved and a lot of fun ones too. That's awesome. Yeah. I uh so I, I think I I want to shift gears a little bit being that we're a wild food podcast we definitely got to hit on some some wild uh I, I would say wild some some seafood and fish recipes which I think you'll appreciate as well um so first up we have uh some smallmouth fish tacos which are pretty awesome I can say honestly I don't think that. I, I've ever caught a smallmouth bass before. More of a largemouth bass fisherman, just based on geography of where I've lived throughout time. Um, but one of our fields. Yeah, Corey, you 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 fish for them a lot, right? Uh, yeah, the there we have a, a creek that runs near the house that I've started taking advantage of of the resource, and we float down it and. Um, in the canoe and, and fish and I've discovered top water this year and it is a lot of fun catching a, a big small mouth on top water and just hearing that smack on top of the water of them gulping it down and and uh, and they're 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 fighters they they put up a good fight so it's always fun fighting them and, and bringing them in so put another so one on on your bucket list I'll put it at the top. What? So this is a question for both of you. So, like, growing up um, fishing largemouth bass, like, it, it was always boasted the best time of year to fish largemouth bass for the fight was like the middle of the summer, like the hottest part of the year, because they were just super aggressive, in coincide with their their spawning season, and they were very frustrated, and it was hot. I mean, I don't know if they feel the effects of the water, but nonetheless. Um, is there a prime time for smallmouth bass fishing? Well, you know, here where, you know, I think it kind of varies based on the part of the country you're in. And here, you know, there's different times and cycles that they go in, you know, like June, they're going to be in the spawning beds they are going to be in shallow. It's going to be kind of a, you know, shallower presentation, but as the summer goes, they go out deeper 
And some of those deeper water fights with those fish are really fun. You know, that vertical jigging and, you know, 25 feet of water and those fish fight, you know, they're recovered after post-spawn, you know, they're feisty, they're strong and, you know, don't have any of that leftover hangover from the spawning season. And they're just ripping it out. You know, that's, that's a total blast. I, and I like that vertical fishing for them. That's awesome. Um, do you do much top, top water action like Corey was mentioning for him? Yeah, some, you know, and I've caught some pretty big ones, you know, the, you know, the true tested whopper plopper. I mean, you can't beat that. That's kind of a standard. And uh, put that one on my list. (laughs) Oh, that that was deadly. I haven't caught one on my whopper plopper yet. I I just bought it this this summer. Uh, The Zara spook puppy is what what my go to is it. I seem to catch catch them on that. Hmm. Yeah, that's a fun way to fish. It's always, so I guess with that, do you, I don't know the clarity of the water. Are you sight casting towards them or just like, you're just casting and, and retrieving? We're not, I'm not really sight fishing where I was topwater fishing, but I know, I know that, you know, that's possible. Um, especially, you know, the Great Lakes are super clear and I was down in, uh, um, it's one of the Southern lakes. I don't even remember the Kentucky or somewhere. And we were sight fishing them when they were schooled up and all splashing around in a feeding frenzy, just oh, throwing cool. plastic spooks. You know, that was really fun. That was, that was fun. That does sound exciting. So to, so to talk a little bit about this recipe, uh, it came from our field staff writer, Dan, who's up in Massachusetts. Also, he, he goes out kind of like an, an annual uh, smallmouth bass smallmouth bass fishing trip with his, uh, I believe it's his brother, but they always come back with a, a good mess of uh, smallmouth bass fillets. So he does a pretty good fish taco. That I think the thing that stands out about this is that he does a, he's got a good homemade tortilla recipe. And so he, he cranks out his own tortillas, which is pretty remarkable. I think a person who can make their own tortillas, it's a, it's a pretty phenomenal skill. So, but we've got a, a sweet little short, uh, YouTube video on, uh, on the website there and, and, and everything we talked about that, that we're going to link, uh, we'll make sure they're available in the show notes, but, um, definitely worth checking out. And then... Next up, uh, broiled broiled walleye with pineapple mustard rub. So I know we talked a lot about walleye earlier. I mentioned it slightly, but um, once again, another fish I haven't caught. Um, I'm trying to think when we were in when we were in North Dakota. I don't think we didn't have a boat, so we weren't able to travel much out into the deeper parts of the lake. And it was uh, June or so so uh a little bit more challenging on on our our part to try to get some walleye see if you went ice fishing you could catch walleye and you could cross two things off your list that's it there all right go. that's it <laughs> boom can i catch smallmouth smallmouth bass while i'm ice fishing as well or yeah but you know it, it's not really 
it's it's interesting up here because they have a whole big campaign free the fighter you know because so they're kind of discouraged harvesting of small mouth bass for table Mm. care so that's kind of interesting and now there's becoming so many of them that a lot of people on these lakes are saying yeah take some we have too many you know so that's kind of an interesting dilemma up here it's curious curious to see how that'll play out and you come up and ice fish on Lake Erie. There's it's the having some of the highest numbers of walleye in, in recent history. So oh, yeah, they're they're smacking them over there. Big ones have, too. Big I'm gonna do like an ice fishing tour. <laughs> yeah, Lake of the Woods. Put that on your list. Up in northern Minnesota. I think that would be the furthest north I've ever been. There's a part of Minnesota that we had one of our Women Ice Angler Project events in that you actually have to go through Canada to get to. It's called the Northwest Angle. There's this little piece of Minnesota that's actually totally detached from the United States, and you have to drive through Canada to get there by land. <laughs> and it's, wow. it's just amazing. Yeah. Not too many people know that, and it's the northernmost point of the United States. Just like down there in the Keys, you have the southernmost point, and you have that little marker that everyone goes and has their picture taken well the northern one of those there too yep the northern one is up in the northwest angle in minnesota and we had a big project out there yeah fishing is oh that's cool that's cool yeah i'm gonna put that one on the list too so our uh our our broiled walleye uh recipe it was contributed by uh danielle pruitt which has been on the podcast before she has her her own site wild and whole she's also one of the food contributors over at meat eater so i'm sure a lot of our listeners are very familiar with her um awesome person uh love talking with her and and loved working with her over the years but she uh she lived up in north dakota and that's where she got introduced into uh walleye and actually as I look at this, in Lake Sakakawea, the very lake that I didn't catch walleye in, she was out there catching them. So that's awesome for her. <laughs> um, so it's a cool recipe. Um, I think the thing that stands most out to me is is the use of pineapple with walleye. I don't know how, how common those two, if they often meet in recipes, but um, I don't want to assume things, but I don't know. It, it, it's a very like s- simple but straightforward. It's kind of the pineapple and tomato and stuff is almost kind of like a relish on top of it. So, but it's it's just straightforward and delicious. And I think those are often the best recipes. You enjoy the flavor of the fish. Um, and then last up, trout in parchment with Thai basil. And this is one of my own recipes, and I definitely recognize catching trout. Not lake trout, though. Um, I have not yet caught a lake trout. Maybe you got to come up and hang out with me for about two weeks up here. Up I in think the so. <laughs> I think so. It sounds Can like I come too. <laughs> sure. It's a road trip. I'll just come, Corey. I'll just come pick you up, and then we'll just head west. Sounds good. <laughs> Um, but I, I like, so using the parchment paper 
to cook your trout in. It's a very like traditional French method of preparation. And uh, it's like a in papillette is the true like term uh, you would use. And I probably butchered the pronunciation of that, but we'll, we'll, we'll give me a B plus or I'll give myself a B plus. But anyway, uh, Thai basil, we have a, we grow it here uh, at our house. It grows really well in the, the hot, humid Southern Florida uh, environment. So we have a lot of Thai basil and uh, it's always kind of very unique to try to pair it with dish dishes because it's often, uh, overpowering too. If you get too much of it, it's like a little bit goes a long way, but with this one in particular, there's a, uh, it's a Southeast Asian dish. I'm gonna can't think of it off the top of my head. I think it's called, uh, did, Garb, G-A-R-B. It's made with ground beef or ground meat. But uh, within that itself, it uses a lot of the same, and it's served um, over over pasta, uh, very much in the same manner. That's definitely not it. So <laughs> I'll re- I'll uh, retract from my previous statements about the name of it, but. Nonetheless, a uh, great meal, uh, lots of citrus, tropical flavors. Um, the Thai basil is great, phenomenal with the trout. Uh, the trout, rainbow trout, super buttery and uh, delicious. The Cooking it in the parchment keeps it very um, uh, very moist so it doesn't dry out. And uh, then once you add it to the other ingredients within the dish, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. So... Barb, what's your uh, what's one of your favorite ways to to prepare fish that you've caught? Any fish, I guess we've we've talked a lot about eating fish, but what's at the top? Well, you know, Wisconsin is known for its fish fries. I mean, there's these little supper clubs that are all over the place that have the traditional fish fry. You can get your perch or your walleye or variety of species and you know that's kind of a staple in wisconsin which is always fun to go out have a nice old-fashioned and a fish fry but at home you know i do a lot of broiling you know a lot of lemon lemon pepper a lot of the Mm -hmm. salmon that i cook i do a ginger teriyaki glaze on it and grill that on the grill you know that's just really really good um a lot of times I'll use leftover fish from recipes to make the fish tacos just because it goes, you know, it's easy to just incorporate in the taco thing. But, and we fry our own, you know, we buy the tortillas, but we fry them up like a hard shell taco, which is just, you know, the Ooh. corn tortillas, which are really, really good, you know, with chopped up avocado and cilantro and all the fixings in there with the kind of like a street taco. It's just delicious. Um, a lot of chowders, fish chowders. We actually make fish chowder on the ice. So really cooking on the ice. There we go again. (laughs) Yeah. There's, you know, there's little butane burner stoves. It's like a one burner Uh stove that runs on the butane. You take that out there in a, a, a pot and bring a, you know, like cans of um, like diced tomatoes and some different stuff. And all of a sudden you can clean a fish and put raw fish chunks in there and cook it down and make this fish chowder. That's just delicious. A little bit of sausage in there to go with it. That's, that's really a great meal on the ice. 
Ooh, that sounds good. Sounds like it's a meal that'll stick to you too. Help help keep you warm. Yeah. Spicy <laughs> better. Um, so I was just I was just looking. So the the inspirational dish for the trout larb L A R B. It's um uses a bunch of stuff, but um you can make it pretty much with any meat. But um a lot of the same ingredients is is our trout trout in parchment and it's served over some pasta like a um like a, a rice based pasta if that makes makes sense but yeah super awesome awesome i uh created that during covid it's a lot of free time on my hands <laughs> unfortunately um so barb what's the what's the best way for people to connect with you if they wanted to reach out well, our fishing club website is wiwomenfish.com. Mm-hmm. And on Facebook, I'm Captain Barb Carey with a C, C A R E Y. And uh, then we have a, uh, a pay- website for um, Women on Ice, and it's womenonice.com and the matching Facebook page to go with that. So <laughs> I'm kind of all over the place there. Um, it's, uh, it's fun. You know, it's, it's so, you know, it's funny because I say that I worked as a nurse and I worked as a cop, but I've changed more lives working in the fishing industry than both of those two put together. That's awesome. So. That's awesome. Um, so it's kind of our last, our last move before we close out the podcast. We sort of give everybody the opportunity for a last thought. And uh, being that you're a guest of the podcast, I'll uh, not put you on the spot first. I'll, I'll put Corey on the spot first and uh, ask Corey for his last thoughts. <laughs> I, well, I just want to thank Barb for coming on. Um, it was a pleasure talking with you, and, and I, I appreciate the tips. Uh, on uh, mm-hmm. what I should and shouldn't do when introducing my my daughter to to fishing, and I I know I need to work on. Yeah, I try my best. I try to have patience, and and I but I know I fail more more times than I should. So I need to work on that, and I'm definitely a work in progress. And and uh, talking with you. You've given me some good insight on that. So uh, I'm going to keep you in mind the next time I I decide <laughs> I want to take her fishing and, and ask her where she wants to go and what she wants to fish for before I just throw her in the truck and go wherever I decide to go. So, But thank you yeah, again, Barbara. I, 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 I love what you're doing. I love that you're getting more more women out there, and, and that's why, why I wanted you on the show to talk with you, to talk more about that. And, and uh thank you awesome you're welcome happy to be here yeah so (laughs) um i have have anything any last thoughts for 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 us all right yeah i do you know it's like at, at this at this time at this day and age right now what's going on in the country there's so much division and there's one thing about fishing and hunting and being outdoors is that we can all come together. Everyone shares that passion. It doesn't matter, you know, what color you are, what you're voting, anything. It all goes away when you can be in the outdoors fishing each other because we're all, you know, brothers and sisters in the outdoors and sharing those experiences and uh, kind of sharing that passion. And 
that goes really a long way. And it's a way to kind of separate ourselves from those distances that are happening in the rest of the world and just kind of be in with the outdoor crew and all be together no matter what. And that's what I found. And that's where I find I'm staying now. You know, I'm not venturing too far out of the hunting and fishing conversations because it's safe in here, you know, and we're all kind of on the same page and it's a place that's good for the soul. We're, we're, we're a good community. Yes, absolutely. So that's awesome. Well, I, I thank you too for, for being on and, and I agree with you. I, I enjoy the conversations within the hunting and angling community much more than those outside of it. (laughs) Um, we're living in some interesting times. I'll say, I'll say that. Um, but no, very happy to have you on the podcast and, and I'm glad, uh, that Corey asked you to be on and, and (laughs) through all the techno technological challenges we worked through on my end, we, we made it happen, which is good. So, and, and I do appreciate what you're doing. Um, and all the hard work you're putting into, to create a good space for, for women to get into fishing. And I, I think it's awesome. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, I also want to thank everybody out there for listening. Uh, thanks for following. Thanks for listening. And, uh, as always the show notes, as I mentioned earlier, will include all the links to all the topics discussed. If they're linkable, they'll be in the show notes. And then, after you've gone and uh, checked out the various platforms that uh, that Barb's plugged into on social media, if you you go over and make sure you're following Harvest in Nature, so you can stay up to date with what we're doing as well. And then uh, also, last thing, whatever podcast platform you listen to, make sure you're subscribed, leave us a review, 